You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled Transformers, Part 10. Enjoy. Let's pray. God, you're so amazing. And here we are on planet Earth. It's not our home. Our home's with you. But you have a mission for us. And we are determined to fill it with glory, to fulfill it, to go all the way, to cross the finish line with confidence in you, being all that you've made us to be. So, Father, we ask you by your Spirit to lead the way in our lives. We thank you for transforming us, for strengthening us. We give you full right of way in our lives, Holy Spirit. Do what pleases you. Lead us where you want us to go. Show us, reveal to us more of Christ in this time together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Transformers, we're being transformed by the goodness of God. That's what transforms us, not rules. Rules will never transform a human being. Can't do it. They may be able to govern their conduct for a period of time, maybe decades, but it doesn't transform them. So we're not trying to govern people's conduct. We want to see a transformation from the inside out. When the transformation takes place, when the governor of Jesus comes alive in here, the conduct begins to change. All right? So we don't want to get it backwards. We don't want to try and change the conduct and then show them Jesus. We want people to know Jesus and let him govern their lives. Right? It's good to be free and let Jesus be your governor. Governor? Danny, how do you say that? Governor? There you go. That's it. (laughs) That's good. So we're removing wrong beliefs from our hearts and minds, and we're replacing it with the real Jesus. That's what this series is all about. And we're going to, I think we're going to finish up with it next Sunday. So we're, we've been uh, started in the book of Job because Job is a book that um, we started, excuse me, last week we started. We didn't start the series in the book of Job, but last week we started the book of Job. And we chose the book of Job because it's uh, mistakenly used a lot of times to justify wrong beliefs about God. And we want to dispel those. We want to know God for who he is. And we realize that we can't understand God. We can't understand the Old Testament apart from the light of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the light that we need to see God clearly. So we put all of our faith in Jesus Okay, not in Job, not in Moses, not in uh, Isaiah, but in Jesus, all right? God is good. Now, we've learned some, some pretty amazing things, some keys to help us understand the Old Testament and the Bible. We know that all Scripture is inspired by God, right? How do we know that? Well, the Bible speaks for itself in 2 Timothy 3.16, right? It says all Scripture is inspired by God, however... However, not everything in the Bible is a direct statement from God, okay? Not everything in the Bible is a direct declaration of God's will. There are a lot of statements in the Bible from people, people who are upset, people who are frustrated, discouraged, right? The Bible accurately records human nature. It's important to understand that. It's it's inspired of God, and God gave us a clear picture of real life, okay? He didn't try and hide anything. 
So when we're reading the Bible, we need to apply the light of Christ to what's being said. There are examples in the Bible of how to, and there are examples in the Bible of how not to. So if we look to an example of how not to and think it's a how-to, we're going to be in trouble, right? We don't want to look to the how-not-tos and and (laughs) how-to. We want to look to the how-tos and how-to. All right, do you know the difference between the how-tos and the how-not-tos? It's really good. Sometimes people take a how-not-to and make a doctrine out of it. And they got a how-not-to doctrine, then they're teaching people how to do it. And they get how not to results. Are you with me? Okay. We want the how to's to be our life. Right? How to walk with God. Who Jesus is. What he's done for us in Christ. Who we are in Christ. Those are the how to's. Okay. The how not to's are the people's attitudes we see in the Bible. The confusion. The darkness. The, the mistakes. The shortcomings. Those are the how not to's. All right. Those are there for our examples. So we don't how not to in our lives, okay? We're how-to people, not how-not-to people, right? We're new creations in Christ Jesus. And the best way to distinguish between the how-not-tos and the how-tos is Jesus, okay? So he's the the best way to understand the Bible. When you're looking to Jesus, you're getting to know the heart of the one who inspired the Bible, all right? And remember Jesus' standard for understanding God. Ask yourself the question, Matthew 7, 9 through 11, would a good father do that? That's why we sing that song, you're a good, good father. So as how-to people, we don't base our beliefs on a verse in the Bible just because it's in the Bible. Right? Just because there's a verse in the Bible doesn't mean we base our life on that. Or even a passage of Scripture. If we're going to base our beliefs on something in the Bible, a a verse or a passage of Scripture, it has to be a truth that is taught throughout the Scriptures. Okay? It's got to be a consistent truth, not someone venting, not someone in darkness. Okay? It's got to be a consistent truth taught throughout the Bible, and it must agree with the ministry and person of Jesus Christ. And this is a challenging area because we've all been through things that don't agree with the ministry of Jesus, right? So the tendency is to try and cope with the difficult things we've been through is to say, well, God must have done it or God must have had some purpose in it. And that is a false way of coping with difficulty. It doesn't set anybody free. It gives people a wrong image of God. God doesn't kill people. God doesn't bring sickness on people to teach them things. God doesn't take babies or children. That is a false coping with things, all right? He's good all the time. If I don't experience his will, and I have, I have, I have not experienced his will for my whole life, and some of those situations were life and death situations, then somewhere I missed it. It's just good to be honest, okay? I don't have to come up with some new theology to try and cover up my shortcomings. That's what Adam was good at. Right? He missed it. And he came up with excuses why. It was his wife's fault. It was God's fault. No, he just missed it. Right? I've just missed it. Just say it. You know, and it sets you free. Okay. So we can make life and death mistakes? Yeah. Yeah. It happens every day around the world. 
It's okay to be honest, all right? Somewhere I missed it. Why do I want to try and change the truth about God to make me look better? Right? No, it's not that far from it. We don't want to do that. So you know if I, you see me not experiencing problems with God, well, either I missed it or I'm on my way, right? Or that just hasn't manifested yet. But we're going to stay with who Jesus is, all right? We're not creating any kind of new doctrine. We don't need to. He is the doctrine. He's the how-to, right? Hallelujah. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. So we're not here to make ourselves look good, right? We're here to, for people to see Jesus because he's already good. Right? And you can't make him look any better than he already is. He's perfect. Isn't that great? Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We're committed to this. Right? We rightly divide the word of truth by applying the person of Christ, the ministry of Christ, the light of Christ to everything we read in the Bible. Okay? That's how you rightly divide the Word. You've got to apply Jesus to what you're reading. It opens your eyes. It does. It enables us to see. Oh, wow. Okay. You start to see things. We're going to get into some fun stuff this morning. You okay? Yes. Seatbelts are clicked. Yes. We're in. We're ready. Yes. We're leaving here different. Yes. If you came in here with anxieties or worries, you're going home without them, right? You're free. You're leaving here stronger than when you came in. We're not playing games. We're not in religion anymore. We're in a vibrant relationship with the maker of heaven and earth, and he's moving in our lives. We're walking with him, and the devil's under our feet. All right, let's go back to Job chapter 3. We're going to get further in Job. Hallelujah, glory to God. I love it. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for illuminating our hearts this morning. Oh, hallelujah. The light of Christ shining brightly inside of us, revealing Christ to us. So this, I, I feel, as I've just studied the Scriptures in the last 20-some years, that this is a major key that we gave you last week to understanding Job's life. And so many people read over this and don't even notice it. There are some scriptures in the Bible that give us spiritual principles. And boy, when you find one of those, grab it. This is one of them. Okay? It just gives you a spiritual principle. Now, you can learn that as you combine it with New Testament scriptures. But Job stated this out of his own mouth, his own free will. He said, For the thing which I greatly feared is come unto me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. It's come upon me, excuse me, because come upon me, then come unto me, all right? So here we have a spiritual principle revealed regarding fear, all right? We can tell just by what's said here that fear preceded what happened to Job, right? He had already inside of him, he had a picture of what was going to happen. You see that by that statement? So what happened to Job was not a surprise to him. He already saw it inside. Fear played a movie for him, and he bought the ticket. And he was sitting in the front row. Satan will give you a video of your future if you'll let him. He'll try and tell you what's going to happen to you and your family, your children. Satan will do that. Don't let him. Just shut the door, right? 
Now, the spiritual principle here is that continued persistent fear is like a magnet that will draw what you fear to you. Consistent or continued persistent fear is like a magnet that will draw what you fear to you and other negative things with it. So many Christians have made fear their friend. They daily allow it in their lives. And it's time for that to stop. There's nothing beneficial to fear. Nothing. It is not your friend. It is not from God. We're not talking about common sense, knowing that we can't jump off of a house or, or you know, do something stupid or run in front of a train. That's common sense. We're talking about expectation of evil. Okay? That's fear. And the devil wants to give you an expectation for evil because fear is faith in that thing, right? That it's going to happen. What was Job afraid of? Go to verse 4 of Job chapter 1. Job was afraid of his children's future. He was afraid of his children's future. Well, aren't you as a parent? No. God is our Father. Right? He was afraid that his children would sin or do something that, that, that against God and something terrible would happen to them. How do we know? We see Job chapter four, uh, chapter one. Boy, just stop bubbling inside of me. My mouth is trying to catch up. Come on, mouth. Come on, lips. All right, verse 4. Boy, your spirit will take you where your, your body just has to catch up. Verse 4. And his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Is this a bad thing? How old are these kids? They have houses, don't they? They're adults. He had adult children who had homes, and on their day, maybe their birthday or some special day they set aside, they had a celebration, invited the whole gang over. Is that a bad thing? It's not. But fear can turn it into a bad thing. Nothing wrong here. No problem. Verse 5. Are you ready to be a godly parent? Come on. To empower your children instead of exasperate them? And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about. That Job, here comes dad. Kids, get over here, right? Sent and sanctified them. He rose up early in the morning. He set an alarm on his phone. You know, 5 a.m., boom. What, which means it was on his mind. He was, he was having a hard time sleeping because of the fear he was allowing to stay in his life. His kids were having fun together. They were together in their homes celebrating. They may have been celebrating the goodness of God. But here's dad all afraid and worried. He's, he's having trouble sleeping. He sets his alarm early in the morning. He goes, kids, get over here. I've got to sanctify you. I don't know what happened in the house, but come over, right? 
early in the morning, and, and he offered burnt offerings. He had to sacrifice possessions out of fear. He took the things that God gave him and he burned them up because of fear. His fear moved him to do things he didn't need to do. All right? According to the number of them all, and Job said, did we learn how many kids he had? We didn't read that verse, did we? We'll, we'll get that in a second. He had 10 children. All right? According to the number of them all, he's not going to leave one of them out, for Job said, you see that? This is all Job doing. Right? God didn't tell him to do this. This is Job's idea. All right? This is Job's belief. This is Job's confession of fear over his life. Now, Luke 6.45, let's see, Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, right? Luke 6.45 says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What was in Job's heart? Fear, right? It may be, I don't really know for sure, but I'm going to assume the worst. It may be, I don't know, but it may be. That's how fear is. You don't really know that. You're just assuming it. It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did continually. This is not a small thing. People just glide right on through this and get to the tragedy and miss the whole point. Okay, this is not a good thing. Now, Job allowed fear into his mind and heart over a prolonged period of time. So we know Job's children were what? Adults, right? They were adults. They had their own homes. Okay? Now, Job didn't understand his role as a parent. And that's not good. Parents are not to be afraid for their children. Parents are to be strong and in faith for their children. Our kids should see confidence when they look at us, not fear, not anxiety, not stress, all right? It, it affects a child when they look to their parents and see fear, and you can't hide it from them. They detect it. They may never say it to you, but they do. So parents aren't called to be afraid for their children. They're called to believe God for their children. They're not called to control their children. Why? Because our children don't belong to us. Did you know that? Your children aren't yours. God made them. We are just the vessel for them to get into the earth. God purposed before you were ever made to bring our children into the earth. And we are privileged to be that vessel. So we're just stewards over their lives. Our responsibility as a parent is not to control them, but our responsibility is the same as Jesus' responsibility to us, to lead them into a relationship with God as their Father. And fear won't get you there. It'll repel them. Fear will repel your children from God instead of drawing them unto Him. Faith will bring them into a relationship with Him. Now, we understand also how we're made. 
that when our children are little, obviously, uh, I remember when our kids were just starting to walk, little peanuts, you know, and they'd try and touch the stove or do something like that. We control them at that age, right? We have to control them for their own safety because they don't know the difference between a stove and a, a, I don't know, a balloon or something, right? They just want to touch everything. They don't know if it's bad or good. So you have to control them when they're little, but we understand that when they're adults, they have to choose of their own free will how they're going to live their lives. And we're okay with that. We can't change it anyway, right? So we're not hung up about it. We're not afraid about it. We're trusting God for it. We're trusting God that they're going to experience his love for the rest of their lives. They're going to choose him for the rest of their lives. But we're not uptight about it. We're not afraid about it. All right? Now, honoring your father and mother doesn't mean you have to do everything they say. Children, have you heard that? Okay. This is a good message. You can, you can bring, take notes and bring this home with you for mom and dad today. So. And, and if, I, if I disagree, you can tell them the pastor said so. So. Uh, so honoring your father and mother doesn't mean you have to do everything they say. It's just true. You honor your father and mother by cultivating an intimate relationship with Christ. That's the best way to honor your mother and father. You personally begin to know God for yourself. Trust in him. Fill your heart and mind with his promises. Develop a personal relationship with God as your father. Now, parents, should help, we should help our children do that, right? We should not get in the way of that. It's good to be a free parent. It really is. Ephesians 6.4 instructs dads not to exasperate their children. That's what Job was doing, right? Now, Job's children were adults. They could have said to him, hey, dad, listen, um, we love you, <laughs> but we're not going to base our relationship with God on fear. We're going to trust in him to be our righteousness. But they didn't say that. They just went along with dad's crazy scheme, right? Right, okay, Dad, here we'll, we'll, we'll get up out of bed early. We're coming over to your house. You can do your sacrifices. And they just went along with it. You know, and I had, to, I had to take a stand in my adult life against what my, um, at the time, parents, the advice were giving me. If I would have followed my parents' advice, I would have had to leave the calling of God upon my life. I mean, I, can't, I won't even voice what they told me to do, but it was, it was ungodly, what they, what, what they would have preferred I do, you know? And I had, to, I had to draw a line in my life and say, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to believe in Him and trust in Him, regardless of what anyone else tells me, even my parents, all right? Everyone has to come to that point, because mom and dad aren't always right. I'm a mom and a dad, right? I'm a parent. Well, I'm just a dad, but you know what I mean, right? I'm not always right. I can't see everything, right? So we want to lead our children to a relationship with the one who sees everything. How are we doing, okay? Yeah. All right. So where does fear come from anyway? Well, it's certainly not from God. We know that, right? It's, from the, it's part of the fallen nature, right? And it's from, from spirits of darkness, Satan, right? And there are hundreds of times in the scriptures where God exhorts us to not fear, 
right? To not be afraid. One of, one of many, but let's, let's pull one up here anyway. Isaiah 41.10, love this one. This is a keeper. This is one to, to plant in your heart and let it grow and bear fruit. God says, do not fear. Well, why? Because I'm with you, right? I like how the NAS says the next one. Do not anxiously look about you. Amen. Why? Because I'm your God, right? I personally will strengthen you. This will melt fear right away if you just, just meditate on this. It'll just drive those anxieties right out of your life. God says, I personally will strengthen you. Now, that's conditioned upon not letting fear, right? The first thing is do not fear. That doesn't mean you can't be tempted to fear, but don't let fear operate in you. Don't give, don't give it any right of way. We're all tempted to fear, but shut that thing down. Why? Because God's with you. Shut that anxiety down. Don't let man tell you you have to take a drug to be free from that. You shut that thing down. There's things man will never know through studying the physical body. God knows. Anxiety is beyond a physical condition. Stress and depression is beyond the physical I understand their physical conditions, but I'm telling you there's something more powerful than the physical that drugs can't give you, and it's the liberty and wholeness that only Christ can bring. For I am your God. I personally will strengthen you. How do you feel? How strong do you get when God strengthens you? Supernaturally strong. Surely, there's no doubt about it. It's a guarantee I'm going to personally help you. I'm going to uphold you with my righteous right hand. It's a sure thing. I like how Jesus said it in John 14, 27 in the Amplified. Let's put that one up there. Peace in the Greek, New Testament written in Greek, Irene, which the Hebrew writers, it was written in Greek, but it was written by Hebrews, they used this word Irene in the Greek to, as the, the Greek equivalent through a Hebrew writer of the Hebrew shalom. Wholeness, well-being, all right? Jesus is looking right at you, and he's saying, wholeness and well-being I leave with you. Whose wholeness? My own well-being. I now give and bequeath to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, don't let, do not let your hearts be troubled. Whose decision is it if my heart's troubled? It's my decision. Come on, let's just be honest. If my heart's troubled, it's not because of my spouse. It's not because of the people that are around me. It's not because of my job. It's because I'm letting it be troubled. I'm the only one that can stop my heart from being troubled. God can't do that for me. I have to choose to believe him. And you can do it. You can do it. The faith to believe God is already inside of you. God deposited in there. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't. Thank you, Father. Everyone's been given that measure of faith. Hallelujah. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them 
be afraid. Heart, you have no permission to be troubled. You have no permission to be afraid. It's not an option for you anymore because Jesus is my Lord. Now, I like it here. Look at this. Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated. Hello. Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disturbed. This changed my life. I didn't know that this, this ability was in me. I thought I had to give way to that stuff. Anxiety, fear, worry. You don't. Stop it. Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disturbed. Boy, if people were taught this, you would see the amount of prescription uh, drug uses just drop like crazy. People are looking for an answer to stress and fear and anxiety and worry and depression, and it's simple faith in Jesus. It just is. Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disturbed, and do not permit yourselves. Boy, this just couldn't be any more clear, huh? Do not permit yourselves to be fearful and intimidated and cowardly and unsettled. You're the only one who can stop fear in your life. God can't do it for you. He's given you the provision for it, but you've got to grab a hold of it through simple faith. All right? So when we choose to fear like Job did, we're basically saying it, whether we realize it or not, that God isn't big enough to take care of me and my family. God isn't big enough to handle my children's future. We know that's not true, right? But that's what fear does. We're exalting darkness above light when we choose to fear, right? Hallelujah. We know 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God's not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and a sound mind. So we, we've started this look at Job by understanding this spiritual principle of fear. It must be understood if you're going to understand what happened to Job, all right? All right, now let's go to Job chapter 1. Uh, let's start in verse 1. We're going to read a little bit of Job now. Are you ready? How are we doing? Good? Yes. Still awake? Yes. Go ahead and pinch yourself yes. uh, if you need to to wake up. This is good. All right, let's see. Did I miss anything yet? Oh, I want to give you this resource before we read verse 1. Uh, the best resource I've ever found on understanding the book of Job is uh, by a gentleman by the name of Tony Cook. His last name is C-O-O-K-E, Tony Cook. You can find him online, Tony Cook Ministries. But years ago, I got his uh, CD series from one of his co uh, conferences that I went to, and it's called Understanding the Book of Job, and it was six CDs. Um, and, but he's got it now in digital form. But if you go to his website, it's called, I think it's called Understanding, I wrote it down here, Understanding the Book of Job. But it's just a great resource. And he asks these questions. Um, he says, who spent the overwhelming majority of his life in prosperity and blessing? Job did. You know that? Okay. Who was highly successful in business and one of the wealthiest people in the world? Job, okay? Who received healing from God and had his immense fortunes restored and doubled? Job, okay? Who lived to an old age enjoying life to the fullest? Job. 
Uh, now, this is so good. I, now, I, I, I like to do a little, uh, just put it, get some, uh, do a little math on this. Let me see if I'm skipping anything. Let's do that. Okay, so how old was Job when Satan attacked him? Do you guys know? Any idea? Well, we know uh, if you go back and look at verse 2 in chapter 1 and verse 4, he had 10 children and they were all adults. All right? So you just kind of put that together. They're all adults. They all had their own homes. So if you had 10 kids, they're all adults, they all had their own homes, you might be around 70, or it all, it all depends, you could be closer to 100, okay? So he was at least probably 70. Let's, let's, get, a, let's get a kind of a picture of what's going on here, okay? He had 10 adult children, they had their own homes. In verse 3 of chapter 1, it lists his assets and declares he was the greatest of all the men in the East. And there's some wealthy folks in the East. Hello. And he was the greatest of them. Okay? Now, Satan's attack and Job's suffering lasted how long? If you study it out, it looks like it was about nine months. So I like to do a little math. Are you ready? So if he was 70 years old, and then the, 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 the Scriptures declare that after Job repented, he had to repent of the fear and the things he was believing about God, and he was healed, he lived another how long? 140 years, the Scriptures say. So if he was 70 at the beginning of that, you add 140, what do you get? 210. Multiply that by 12 months in a year. It's a lot of months. I think it's like 2,520, something like that. Then you divide that. Uh, how did I do that? You take the total amount of months, and, and you divide nine months by that total, and you get a percentage. You know what the percentage of Job's life was? Where, where he was attacked and suffering. You know how much of his time on earth? 0.0035%. Less than half of 1% of Job's life was suffering. Less than half of 1%. Right? And people, people, they don't know what they're doing when they're comparing themselves to Job. This is an amazing man. Okay? He lived to see four generations after the suffering. He had ten more children and saw four generations. It's an amazing man. Okay? All right. Now let's start verse 1. All right? Uh, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright. Now I want you to know when you see the word perfect in the Scriptures, unless it's talking about Jesus, it means mature. There was no perfect people in the Bible except Jesus, all right? So the King James says perfect, but that doesn't mean he never made mistakes. It means he was mature. It means he had integrity, all right? You'll see that throughout the Scriptures. All right. And, not, and one that feared God and eschewed evil, all right? Now, remember, Job was in the Old Testament, and he was way, way, way back, okay? He was in darkness. Job was living in darkness. Christ hadn't come, all right? Verse 2, and there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. Verse 3, his substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen. Kids, you think you have a bad feeding a dog and a cat, huh? <laughs> Woo! 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. Woo! And a very great household. This is a prosperous man. So that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. Wow. 
And his sons went and feasted in their houses, everyone his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job declared, Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Fear became a way of life for Job. All right? Okay, now let's get into verse 6. People have taught that God gave Job to Satan. Would a good father do that? Never. What we're going to see in the Scriptures, if you can take your religious goggles off and your religious headphones, that God put a hedge of protection around Job. And Job's persistent fear eroded that protection and allowed Satan access to his life. Let's look at the Scriptures. All right? Verse 6. I'm going to read it out of New American Standard here. Now, there was a day when the sons of God, who's that? You'll see that, that verse, uh, that phrase in the Old Testament. Talking about angels, okay? Not talking about multiple messiahs or anything like that. It's talking about angels, all right? There's only one son of God, Jesus, right? He's the only begotten son of God. Now, we're all sons and daughters of God because of him, right? But I want you to know he's talking about not people here, angels, all right, and then we're going to read it out of the Youngs. You'll see something that's pretty cool. The sons of God, angels, came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan, the Hebrew says, and the adversary. What's adversary mean? One who is opposed or against. He's against God. He's against, he didn't belong there. The adversary also came among them. He wasn't supposed to be there. How did he get access to that position? Adam gave it to him. Adam lost, gave Satan the authority that God gave him. You know that? We learned that in Romans, that Satan seized the sovereignty that God gave to Adam. He should have never been in that position with the other angels. He was cast down. Remember? I heard Joseph Prince teach on this, and it was, it was excellent. So Satan, now I want you to understand something. Satan no longer has this position in your life. Why? Because now Christ is your mediator. Christ stands before the Father on your behalf night and day, and Satan can't ever change that. Yes. You will never be in the place of Job. Never. Because Jesus is your mediator. So don't ever think that this could happen to you. Jesus had not been crucified yet. He did not pay the price for sin yet. He hadn't risen yet. This can never be you. You're not spiritually, positionally, righteously speaking in the position of Job, and you never will be because Jesus is your mediator. And if we don't get to it today, we're going to see that later on in Job. All right, verse 7, the Lord said to Satan... From where do you come from? Now, we know that when God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer, right? Is God, is God like, um, where'd you come from? I, I don't know. What are you doing here? No, God knows everything, doesn't he? So he's not asking a question for his own benefit. What's he doing? 
He's exposing the scheme of Satan to the other angels. Angels, are they're all assembled before God, and here comes the one that started the rebellion. What is he doing here? They're all looking at him. God's about to expose his strategy for the benefit of the other angels. Boy, this is revelation, isn't it? God, thank you. We need revelation of who Christ is. Hallelujah. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. He's feeling a little confident, isn't he? A little cocky. Satan's cocky, you know that? He has, he has no, no power in your life. Don't let him fool you with his cockiness. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered, the Hebrew says, have you set your heart on my servant Job? God is not selling Job out here. We're going to read it literally in Young's literal in a second. The Hebrew says, have you set your heart on my servant Job? He's exposing Satan's scheme. For there's no one like him in the earth. He's blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. We're going to read these same verses in Young's literal translation. Are you ready? Let's put Young's literal up there in verse 6. And the day is that sons of God, angels, came in to station themselves by Jehovah. I just like to look at, get a vision of that. The angels of God, right? Glorious beings that God created. They come to station themselves by the throne of heaven. And there doth come also the adversary in their midst. I wonder what their faces look like. And they're all there assembled and they're looking and all of a sudden the adversary's there. And Jehovah says to the adversary, Whence comest thou? What are you up to? Let's let everyone in on what your strategy is. And the adversary answers Jehovah and says, From going to and fro in the land and from walking up and down in it, verse 8, And Jehovah saith unto the adversary, Hast thou set your heart against my servant? That's what you're up to. You've set your heart against the man who loves me. Because there's none like him in the land, a man perfect and upright, fearing God and turning aside from evil. So I want you to know God did not sell Job out here. He's exposing the strategy of the enemy. Then Satan answered in verse 9, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge? Oh, Satan knows it. Have you not made a hedge? Let's put the next verse up there, guys. Verse 10. Have you not made a hedge about him? Yep, he sure did. What did God do? He made a hedge around Job and his house and all that he has on every side. That's what God did in Job's life. All right? What did God do in Job's life? He made a hedge about him and his house and all that he had on every side. That's what God did. You have blessed the work of his hands. That's what God did. And his possessions have increased in the land. That's what God did. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He'll surely curse you to your face. Let me ask you a question. Can Satan con God? Then why do pastors teach that he did? They teach that Satan came to God and conned him. Yeah, you you think he's so special, then why don't you strike him? And then he'll, you think God's going to listen to that? Come on. Would you listen to that? Well, you might because you're not God, but God won't. We can get conned, can't we? 
But God cannot get conned. Never has God been conned. Never has Satan taught God into doing something. Never. Don't ever buy that fib. Junk is right. Can Satan incite God against man? No. Would a good father let a con man do that to his child? God put a hedge of protection around Job. It's Job's choices to continually fear that eroded that hedge. I'm going to show you that by applying some New Testament light to it. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 in the Amplified. We're going to see the hedge that is built in our lives when we choose to have faith in God. Are you ready? Let's go there. In the Amplified, Philippians 4, 4 through 7. This is a, a hedge that is built in our lives as we put faith in the Lord. Are you ready? Rejoice in the Lord always. Delight, gladden yourselves in Him. That's all a choice, isn't it? It's a daily, moment-by-moment choice that no one else can make but you. Again, I say rejoice. All right? Let's go on to the next verse. Let all men know and perceive and recognize your unselfishness, your considerateness, your forbearing spirit. Why are you that way? Because the Lord's near. Right? God's near. He's close. Verse 6. Here it is. Here's, here's a heads of protection. Verse 6 and 7. Do not fret or have any anxiety. Sounds like John 14, 27, doesn't it? Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. Got that? Don't let Satan con you. You see, what Satan will do, he will try and convince you that your anxiety is justified. That your fear is valid. That you should feel the way you do because so-and-so did this to you. And there are people who've been trapped by counseling. And they've told, because your parents did this to you, you're going to be that way for the rest of your life. That's bad counsel. God has made us to be, to be free beings regardless of what other people have done to us. Even the gross perversion of a twisted parent can't take away the freedom of a child who put their faith in Christ. Faith in Christ is more powerful than abuse, more powerful than, than uh, drug usage, more powerful than anything anyone could ever go through. And, and you have the power to, to enjoy it through simple faith in Christ. Don't let any fret, do not fret, don't have any anxiety about anything, and don't let Satan tell you your fears are justified. Because he'll do it. Well, you have a right to feel the way you do. Look what happened to you. You know what they did to you. Well, look at their behavior. I'd be worried too. That's what he does. He try, he's trying to con you. Why? Because he wants access to your life. He did the same thing to Job. And Job didn't see the con. But in every circumstance, this is revelation knowledge here, in every circumstance, in everything, so there's no exemptions to this, every circumstance, in everything, 
by prayer and petition, not fear, faith, definite requests with what? With thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God. And here's the result, verse 7, here's the hedge. And God's peace uh, I'm, shall be yours through the tranquil state. I'm going to skip all that. And God's peace, which transcends all understanding, shall garrison and mount guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's a hedge of protection right there. God's peace shall garrison and mount guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What activates this protection in our lives? Faith in who God is, what He's done for us, and who we are in Christ. Listen, faith expresses itself with joy, not fear. If I'm not joyful, I'm not trusting Him. It's that simple. There are people who have cultivated fear in their prayer life. And they walk around anxious and afraid, thinking they're being spiritual, but it's the wrong spirit. If I'm not joyful, I'm not trusting in Him. There's no shame in that. Just recognize it and turn it around. All right, I've, I've caught myself. Wait a minute, what am I doing here? What am I doing? God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for watching over me. Thank you for commanding your angels to guard me and protect me. Thank you for meeting all of my needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And if you begin to do that, you will see fear disappear. It may not happen in a moment, but I'm telling you, fear can't stand in the presence of praise. God inhabits the praises of his people, not the fears of his people. God inhabits the praises of his people. Who inhabits fear? Not God, right? Spirits of darkness, that's their domain, right? We don't go there. Hallelujah. So verse 12, here we go. We're going to finish this up here. This is so good. Then the Lord, Jehovah, said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. In the Hebrew, it means hand. God is not giving Satan permission. He's, he's acknowledging what's happened. Say, look, all that he has is in your hand. Only don't put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. You think he's going to listen to him? No. Young's literal translation says it this way, And Jehovah saith unto the adversary, Lo, lo, yo, lo. Right? In other words, look, all that he has is in your hand. How did it get there? Did God put it in Satan's hand? No, we just saw he put a hedge of protection around. Who put it in Satan's hand? Job did. By listening to Satan and all the fears that he introduced into Job's mind. Okay? Only put unto him put not forth your hand. And the adversary goes out from the presence of Jehovah. How did all that Job have come under the power of Satan? Through Job's continued faith in Satan. Or faith in what uh, Satan presented to him. 
So God didn't put Job into Satan's hand. God put a hedge of protection around Job. Job put himself under Satan's power by choosing to fear continually. Put Colossians 1.13 up here. Notice how we keep going back to the New Testament. Why? We're applying the light of Christ to what we're reading. You need to do this. If you don't, you'll miss it. Okay? So through Christ... God, and I like how the Hebrew says, everything he has in your hand, okay, your power or your hand. Through Christ, God has delivered us or taken us out from under the hand of or the power of Satan. Colossians 1.13 says, the Father has delivered and drawn us to himself out of the control and the dominion of darkness or the hand and has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. And there's no expiration date on that. All right? This is your position now. You'll never be in the position Job was in. No one in the Old Testament could have the position you have. Because Christ had not come. All right? So if you're a New Testament believer, you really can't compare yourself to Job other than the principle of fear. All right? Because the principle of fear still works. All right? We're going to have to end here. This is what we're going to do. Uh, next week, we'll finish it up next week. Um, we're going to see that there's a statement Job made a little later uh, in chapter, uh, it was one or two, but he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And that statement's been taken and used at funerals, but it's, it's a statement that's only half true. The Lord gives. <laughs> the other half is not true. He's not a thief. He's not, he doesn't take away. We're going to see the, the, the falseness of that. And we're going to see, I think, probably one of the most powerful things in the book of Job. You're going to see that um, Job has some friends come along, three friends, that try and give him counsel, and it's lousy counsel. And there's only one person in the book of Job, only one, who does not need to repent. Do you know who it is? Elihu. You guys know who Elihu is? He's this young guy that comes along. He wasn't one of the three friends. He's sitting there listening to him. Finally, about chapter 32, he has to speak up. And he nails it. He nails it. And in Elihu's response in chapter 33, you'll see a prophecy of Christ. It is so powerful. We're going to get into that next week. It's going to be so, so good. All right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for revelation knowledge of you. Lord, you are, are peeling back the, the, the uh, layers of misunderstanding. You're, you're peeling away the confusion and you're revealing Christ to us. You are a good, good father. Mark, you come sing that good, good father. Come on up here, guys. You're a good, good father. You're a good, good father. And we can trust in you. You're never going to sell us out to the enemy. No one can con you. You're for us. You're never against us, and no one can change that. And, Lord, I ask that you strengthen and encourage everyone who hears this message here or online, Father, that they would know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are for them and doing everything you can to bring about good things and cause good things to happen in their lives. In Jesus' name. And I pray a special prayer right now for anyone here dealing with anxiety or depression or discouragement or fear. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would let them know that's not who they are. 
and that's not their future. And you came that they'd be free from it all. I ask your Holy Spirit to strengthen anyone who might be struggling in these areas. As only you can do, be their counselor. Counsel and lead them into the liberty of Christ, into the supernatural strength that only you can provide in Jesus' name. Amen. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.